Greetings in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My name is Charlie Gross. I am the Associate Executive Presbyter for the Presbytery of Donegal. I'm hosting this podcast series titled Missional Church Conversations, Making It Real. The basis of this conversation will be a series of interviews with a wide variety of leaders in the field of the missional church and in theology. These leaders will come in the form of professors, pastors, elders, deacons, sisters and brothers in Christ who are experimenting with new ways of being the church in the world today. My hope is that these conversations will inspire you, challenge you, inform you, even change you, and push you into the world with boldness and confidence to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. I'd like to mention that I'm indebted to freeconferencecall.com for this call and this recording feature. It's an outstanding service. Well, today's guest is Dr. Lee Barrett. Lee is the Mary B. and Henry P. Steger Professor of Theology at Lancaster Theological Seminary. He has taught there since September of 1993. Prior to this, Lee taught theology at the Presbyterian School of Christian Education in Richmond, Virginia. Lee holds a BA, MA, MDiv, and PhD degrees from Yale University. Lee was my theology professor at Lancaster Seminary and is incredibly gifted at making theology come alive. Lee, thank you so very much for joining me in this conversation. Yeah, my, my hope, Lee, is that um, you can help us understand the concept of the missional church, expand our thinking on this topic, and help us make it come alive or make it real. So I'll, I'll jump in with the questions. Uh, my first question is in two parts, and that is, how do you define the missional church, and what makes it different from a previous understanding of church? Well, thanks, Charlie, and, and thanks for, for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. And that's an excellent question to begin with, because uh, as, as we both know that the word missional is uh, thrown around a lot these days, uh, so much so that you have to pause and wonder, does it, does it really mean anything in particular at all? And, uh, and, I, and I think it, it, it does. And um, I, I, I will approach your question by beginning with what the missional church is not. Hmm. Um, and, and basically... I think it arose in reaction to two different but very prevalent uh, understandings of what the church is in contemporary North America. Um, and one is basically that the church is an organization that spreads a sort of mantle of sacredness over our ordinary social life. Uh, the sociologist of religion, uh, Peter Berger, from uh, the last generation, um, used the phrase the sacred canopy, uh, that, that most human groups want to have a feeling that the universe, the divine, God, whatever you want to call it, um, blesses uh, a people's way of life. And I think that's the way uh, many 
congregations and even denominations have evolved in the United States, that the church is basically there um, to provide an, uh, an atmosphere of holiness for transitional times in human life, like marriages, births, uh, deaths, uh, coming of age, um, to be there to help celebrate public civic holidays, um, and to bless the way we ordinarily do things. So that it, it, so the church becomes the religious dimension of social life in general, or the religious dimension of a culture, uh, which really means then that the church um, is at the mercy of the culture. Uh, that it's just a reflection of ordinary cultural values and should reinforce them and give people a sense that the the things they ordinarily value are also valued by God and are rooted in the nature of the universe. So I'll call that the the, the, the sacred canopy view mm-hmm. of the church. Um, and the other one is is the church as an organization that exists in order to meet the individual's religious needs. Uh, I'll call that the consumerist view of the church, mm. uh, that people have need for health, you know, so they so they go to a health club and exercise. They have a need for good food, so they go for a rest to a restaurant, and they have uh, a need for uh, a little mysticism or spirituality every now and then. So they they go to church to get their their spirituality fix that helps them get through the day, and. Uh, mm gives them maybe a little more zest, a little more energy to live life more fully, to have more energy for their job, to uh, negotiate family crises um, in a more healthy manner. Uh, so the church is there to, to meet your individual needs. Yeah, um, and I think both those views, the, the, the church as um, the sacred canopy over society, and the church as uh, the uh, supplier of the individual's religious needs uh, are fundamentally contrary to the New Testament and what Christianity has been at its best. Uh, And I think the missional church is an attempt to return to earlier understandings of the church that aren't the sacred canopy and aren't the uh, church as a uh, supplier of individual um, religious needs. Mm. And that earlier understanding is simple. Um, and in fact, it's embarrassingly simple. It's, it's just that the church should be a community of people who are moved by the vision that Jesus taught and lived out uh, that it really would be a good thing to love God with all your heart, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And that when mm. Jesus delivered the Sermon on the Mount, maybe he really meant it. Mm. Uh, and, and so maybe Christians are called to lead a different kind of life from everybody else. And uh, that's uh, a life of uh, radical self-emptying, of uh, loving neighbors as yourself and loving strangers and even enemies with with intensity and and reckless abandon just as god loved us that way in the self-giving of jesus christ um mm. so I, I think the missional church is is is, is it, it's many different things many different movements 
uh, it's, it's not a denomination. It's not really an organization. It's, it's just a, a sense, a kind of sensibility, an ethos, a, a drive that's arising all over the place in different ways. Um, basically saying, what would it be like if we actually lived out uh, the message of Jesus and uh, the reign of God um, and began to do what Paul called put on the mind of Christ? Um, so it's not necessarily a new denomination or a new institution um, or even a new network. I, I, it's it's a call for a new spirit to not be focused on just reinforcing our social values and our cultural values and not just meeting our individual needs, but actually becoming new creatures in the way that God in Christ calls us to be new creatures. Mm. I'm not sure if that's answered yeah. your question. Yeah. No, it, it, it has. And, and I think partly that, that helps to show the, um, the tension or the difficulty, I guess, of either pushing people in that way or living that way because we're, we're sort of need-oriented or culturally-oriented uh, people who probably are comfortable in that. Um, so, so what I'm getting at is, you know, trying to make that real, make that shift to to the self-emptying, the um, countercultural living, um, and and loving enemies and loving others and blessing the world, or living, you know, worshiping and living and serving for the world. Um, could be a little bit of an uphill battle for um, pastors or leaders or people who are uh, trying to do that. Um, so I guess I wonder, you know, perhaps um, what what are you seeing? Uh, are you seeing any successes in that? And what, or is it? Is it a spirit that's rising up that um, that God is is doing something new, raising up that um, that spirit to to be different, to be missional, or is it um, you know where where are the tensions in that um, in that idea? Yeah, you 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 expressed it well, um, especially when you use the word countercultural. That. Um, it seems to me that the, the, the notion that human beings are called to live a life of radical self-giving that reflects the way God gave God's self to humanity um, in the incarnation uh, in Jesus Christ and Jesus' well, life, death, and resurrection, um, that flies in the face of most the most deeply ingrained cultural values, which all point towards uh, self-centeredness, to tell the truth. Um, mm. uh, you know, we, we live in a culture that uh, really reinforces over and over again in a variety of different ways that you have to look out for numero uno. Uh, you know, you got to care about your own retirement, uh, your own investments, your own physical health, your own medical plan, um, your own family, uh, your, own, your own everything. It's always mine, mine, mine. Um, and the entertainment industry, uh, advertising, everything is set up to reinforce a drive towards 
um, self-actualization and self-gratification. You know, we live in a consumerist culture, and it's really um, self-gratification that makes it tick, uh, mm-hmm. including, including the entertainment industry. Uh, and the way in which the electronic media with advertising permeates every aspect of our life is just colossal. Uh, so everything about the way we live uh, gives people the sense that life is all about getting my fair share of the pie, and I want a bigger piece. Mm-hmm. And the message of Christianity is almost the opposite. It's not about getting, it's about giving. And it's not about possessing, it's about letting go. Uh, it's not about you, it's about others. Um, and that is a radically countercultural message, so countercultural that the questions you asked, I think, immediately arise. Why would anybody in their right mind ever want to embrace that kind of life of radical self-giving? Because it mm. seems really weird uh, and almost contrary to our most basic instincts. So, yeah, it is an uphill struggle uh, to present Christianity because it's message is, at least on the surface, I think, offensive and mm. shocking and scary uh, to most people. Um, say, oh, I should structure my life around love for others and, and not my own self-gratification. Well, I don't want to do that. And mm. In fact, television and um, everything else in my life tells me I shouldn't do that. I should look out for numero uno. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm surprised, however, that... Uh, the message that maybe it's all about self-giving love, uh, and that's what the the essence of Christianity is. It's amazing to me that that keeps popping up, and and it's and and you can't squelch it. That uh, so, like just when you thought it was about to become extinct, there it is again. And uh, you know, the, the missional church is is part of that, but it's happened again and again and again in the history of Christianity that. Just when you thought Christianity had sold out and had become just like the culture and had assimilated perfectly and had lost its edge, there's a reform movement uh, Mm. that reminds people that, oh no, uh, Christianity puts pretty, um, uh, it raises the bar considerably and, and puts demands on people. Um, and I, I think that's happening again. And, w- and what that suggests to me is that in, in this, well, at least this is what I like to think, that in, in, in most people there are two things going on. One is, and I'll call it sin, a sinful desire to conform to the culture and be selfish. But mm-hmm. I think there's also, working against that, an, another dynamic in, in humans um, that a little voice that does says, but surely there's more than this. Surely there's more to life than just getting all the experiences and money and fun that you can possibly get. There, there's, I, I think Augustine was right that the, there is a restless heart in humans that, that long for a deeper satisfaction, and that satisfaction does come from a life of radical love. Uh, so I think there's, even in... North American culture right now, there's uh, in most people's hearts, there's there's still something that can be tapped into, a little seed of discontent, of uh, spiritual restlessness, um, 
and I've been happy that uh, uh, you know movements like the missional church or the emergent church uh, seem to be attracting loyalty and energy, um, and, and you can call that the Holy Spirit at work. Um, and it's happened before in the history of Christianity. Just when you thought everything had become stagnant and complacent, uh, something happens, like the Franciscan movement or the First Great Awakening or the Second Great Awakening, and uh, the Holy Spirit does its thing, and um, uh, the the vision is is rekindled and reborn. Mm. Amen. So it's it's hard work because if you preach it or live it out. Um, going to shock people and rub them the wrong way initially, because uh, it, it, it looks crazy. Um, hmm. But I, I, I think it's a, a situation of people are simultaneously repulsed from it, because it's a scary way of life to be a loving person. But they're also, something in them is also attracted and fascinated by it. It's sort of like when we read stories about Mother Teresa. You know, you say, well, gee, I don't want to go live in Calcutta. But there's another part of you that says, Maybe that would be satisfying, uh, and and I think that's uh, that's what's but that's what's going on. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I guess um, you know, in terms of um, pastors preaching, um, you know, the, an outward focused church or a church that's um, that, or an, even an individual. Um, way of being Christ to your neighbors, or you know, you know going facing outward. Um, you know, I, I'm wondering the, the strategies or the, the the narrative that they use. Is, is it old school to say that you know you preach the fact that the simple message, like you said, that that giving is better than receiving, that you're going to be fulfilled, that, that, that you know, it isn't all that there is to, to grab the, the experiences, the money, the fun, that, you know, that that's sort of finite, but there's something much greater than that, and it's in the self-giving. Um, you know, is there, do people preach that or is is are we moving into a time where we where preaching is much more action oriented you know i'm i'm wondering is it more laboratories that are in the third spaces or in the culture or in you know how do you how do you just serve um or or bless the world rather than continue? i mean you still have to gather to to hear the word and to proclaim and worship and and all that but I'm wondering if if the if there's a dynamic or a change in the the way that we portray the message or live the message or be the message, you know, rather than simply the spoken word. Right, right, yeah, because um, it has to be enacted. Uh, yeah, people have to see it lived mm-hmm. out and, and and not just hear it, which puts pretty frightening burden on uh, uh, Christian leaders. You know, mm. If you're, if you're going to be a leader, you've got to walk the walk, um, which is a pretty daunting prospect. Mm. Um, but, but, but I think that uh, 
many churches haven't done a good job of even preaching it. Mm. Uh, that it's been my experience, and I hope this doesn't sound too jaundiced or, or pessimistic, that uh, the, the message of, of radical love gets watered down um, so that all that congregants get asked to do is you know, give to one great hour sharing and join a committee. And uh, <laughs> you know, if, if you do that, you can pat yourself on, your, on the back and say, well, I'm a good Christian now. I've, I've done all that God requires of me. And uh, after mm-hmm. I've uh, sent in my pledge and uh, <laughs> put in my couple of hours of committee work and maybe worked for Habitat for Humanity for a weekend or two, um, yeah, I can just kick back and watch football uh, for the rest of the year. Mm. Um, I, I think that's the impression a lot of lay people get that that God's God's expectations are pretty minimal. Um, I, and I think both the Protestant mainline has done that, and also the evangelical churches. Uh, they hesitate to. Um, present the Sermon on the Mount in its full demand. Um, they, they kind of water down what Christian love really entails uh, so that it doesn't really amount to much. Um, so so I, I think that the first step is to um, not be afraid to tell people, you know, uh, uh, a, a Christ-like life is really different uh, than just being a good citizen or being a good family person. Um, and, and if that were made clear, I, I think at least that's a the first step in the right direction. Mm. And I guess could, could you, and that actually takes me to the next sort of takeaway piece from this, um, which is a scary next step. I, I guess probably authentic preachers are able to say, that it is difficult step and and even point to themselves and say you know I'm not taking this step perfectly you know right. I'm I'm trying just as I'm asking you to try uh to be different and we're um and and struggle at it um every day or yeah every day in in your own context in your own setting you know, maybe keep asking the a question of is this is this living counterculturally? Is this living in a ra- in a way of radical love? Is 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 what I'm doing or about to do? Um, yeah, the most loving, the loving most loving thing that could be done. Yeah, um, right, right. Not quite sure how to phrase that question. Right, but, um, right. Yeah, because the other part of it is is uh, we're not going to be able to do it all yeah. that well as as individuals or as communities. And, and, and as Christian leaders, uh, if you're supposed to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, well, nobody's going to walk the walk all that well because uh, we, we remain sinful and always in need of God's forgiveness. Um, but I, I, I think what happened in, in Christianity in, in the last couple centuries was that the theme that God forgives sinners that, that Luther emphasized um, eventually got interpreted as meaning God doesn't expect much from people. Um, 
Mm. So, so that whereas Luther had a healthy sense of how much God expected, and therefore he felt really guilty and really longed for God's forgiveness, what happened in later Protestants is the bar got lowered, uh, and um, God's forgiveness and God's grace got interpreted as meaning um, that that God's expectations are really, really minimal, and we don't have to do very much, and we don't have to even try. Uh, whereas that was not what Luther meant. Um, mm. He didn't mean, you know, let's sin that grace may abound, <laughs> or uh, <laughs> or uh, the fact that we're justified by faith and not by works means that we can just kick back and relax. Um, so I I I, I think the um, We'll we'll just speak biblically that uh, uh, right now in the history of Christianity, we need to reemphasize the Gospel of James, um, that uh, uh, we we really should have some works of love. Um, Even though we know it's going to be imperfect, we're not going to be able to do it all that well, and we will require God's grace and God's acceptance uh, due to our imperfections. I, I also think that, and well, before I say this, I'm going to say this is not the reason why Christians should do it, but I think it gives it a little corroboration. Uh, many sociologists are saying now that the religious organizations that are growing and seem to be the most vibrant and healthy are the ones that put the most demands on their people. Uh, that the, the, the ones that are kind of lax and don't expect much, those are the religious groups that decline and and eventually seem to be coming extinct. And it's the ones that uh, uh, really say, well, if you want to be a member, you've got to do this, this, and this. Mm. Uh, And and, and the demands are really um, uh, quite taxing. Uh, Those are the ones that have the most vitality and the most growth. Um, Mm. So uh, that that gives me some encouragement that uh, maybe there is something in human beings that... uh, realize that um, just living a life of self-centeredness and um, uh, self-actualization and self-gratification, that uh, that's really not enough. Mm. And the groups that make, uh, religious groups that have a message that challenges that um, actually find a hearing. <laughs> and people are attracted to them. Mm-hmm. Mm. Oh, that's that sounds like a um, a takeaway from a practical takeaway from this conversation. Difficult one, perhaps you know, <laughs> dependent on yeah the person. Yeah. But yeah. And, and, and and I'm I'm not a pastor with a congregation, so I can sort of like <laughs> say this and, and not uh, not suffer the consequences. Uh, but it might just be that congregations would grow and become more vibrant if more demands were put on people. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Awesome. Well, there's a challenge for uh, for our listeners, and um, um, yeah, appreciate that. How, in, in sort of wrapping this up or uh, closing this, is there other is there any other resources or conversations, ideas that that you would recommend, um, or either authors uh, for people to follow? Um, around this conversation or maybe even some helps and encouragement to um to become more radical in their 
in their walk? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, in, in regard to um, online resources, uh, I kind of like uh, the Center for Parish Development, which is an interdenominational uh, group. It's got Catholics, Methodists, Presbyterians uh, in it, in its leadership. Um, and I, you can find them at www.missionalchurch.org. Uh, and they've got a lot of resources listed, and um, hmm. okay. um, I, 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 I recommend that uh, a lot. Um, and th- there are a few authors that uh, I think are um, underappreciated uh, that, that might be of help. Um, some of them are um, you know, a, a little on the scholarly lo- side of life, but uh, these are people who can write intelligibly, and, and um, uh, mm-hmm. they're 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 not that obscure. At least some of their stuff. <laughs> okay. Uh, one's J- John Caputo, uh, C-A-P-U-T-O, uh, who's a, a philosopher. Actually, teaches right now at Syracuse used to teach at Villanova. Um, but a year or two ago, he wrote what I, I think is a, um, a very good book called What Would Jesus Deconstruct? Uh, it's short, and it's easy, it's, it's, it's easy to read. Um, and um, mm-hmm. I, 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 I think that's, that's, uh, that's very challenging. Uh, he also wrote an earlier book called On Religion that's a, uh, a little slightly more technical, but but still uh, understandable and, and I think very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was John Caputo. Um, Stephen Fowle is another author whom whom I respect, who I think falls in uh, this uh, uh, category. He wrote, he, he wrote a book called Reading in Communion about... Uh, Reading scripture in such a way that you'll be challenged to, uh, as as you said, uh, turn outward uh, and live out your reading of scripture in the world, uh, doing God's will in the world. Uh, mm. So Stephen Fowl and, and John Caputo, I uh, appreciate a lot. Mm-hmm. Outstanding. Well, Lee, I I I know you're you're busy with studies and book writing and all the things that you do. So I, I, I very much appreciate um, the time uh, that you spent um, with us today. Oh, in fact, if I, can, if I can interrupt, I forgot one other book. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Since sure. You, you were talking about my, my, my time, um, uh, I, I'd also recommend the, the, the works of Søren Kierkegaard, uh, who I think, uh, who's a Danish theologian, philosopher, lived in the 19th century, uh, but I think was way ahead of his time, and is uh, mm. a, a, a thinker for right now. I have a I just wrote a little book on on him that's out from Abingdon Press. It's just called Kierkegaard. Uh, but his his main issue was the fact that uh, Christians seem to have forgotten what Christian love really looks like, and they're not even trying to live it out because they don't know what it is. And I, I think that's that's been a problem for uh, many of our churches. Hmm. Well, that sounds like a great, uh, a great resource, and it, and, it, and it ties right back into what we are saying about our walk as followers of Christ right. in terms of um, 
loving one another right. and, and right. in a practical sense and a in uh, real tangible ways. So um, uh, Abington Press, uh, just called yeah. Kierkegaard. Huh? Yep. Excellent. Uh, well, again, thank you for your time, and um, may God richly bless you and, um, and your wife and your family, and um, we'll talk again soon, Lee. Hope to see you around town. Well, thank you, Charlie. You're welcome. Okay.